Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you all here uh, with me in this room. And for those of you joining at one of our campuses in San Mateo and Mountain View and Saratoga, um, and of course, those who are joining with us online, we're grateful that you're here. It's so much fun to be in worship together. And uh, we're excited to see what God might do with us in this time. We uh, also want to say it's, it's this journey that we're on. We're doing this together, too, called Lent. And it's good to be together in that season as well. Um, and hopefully you found our resources online that are helping you walk through this time. Uh, we've got it on YouVersion on Bible, or you can find it on our website. But whatever way that you are journeying through these weeks before Easter, I pray that God will reveal the things in your life that need attention, and hopefully that will, you'll draw closer to God. Because the big goal here is to have an honest conversation with God, wherever it may go, and to remember that Jesus, really, he already knows everything anyway, so he wants to free you from the burdens that you're carrying. He wants to heal your heart. He wants you to take hold of the hope that the cross and his victory over death gives to us. And as we're learning, this journey that we're on requires surrender. We're on this path of surrender, a surrender of our egos, our self-sufficiency, and patterns of life that are not helping us. In the last couple of weeks, we've been following Jesus in this final week of his life, and through Matthew's gospel, we've seen Jesus interact with his disciples, the authorities, the religious leaders, and the crowds, and we're learning about what really matters in the kingdom of God. And today we're focused on Jesus' interaction with the teachers of the law. And we can find these in Matthew chapters 23 through 25. It's in this section that we see Jesus doing a lot of teaching, and his teaching is very pointed because the religious leaders are attempting to discredit and trap him with trick questions. And we see Jesus, the master teacher, making his point clearly and forcefully. Now, just because something is true doesn't mean it will be well-received. And let's just say the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were not really open to a growth conversation. And if we're honest, sometimes neither are we. So today we're going to consider our own response to Jesus' teaching and how it moves us forward in the path of surrender. Let me offer a prayer as we get started. So Jesus, we want to hear from you today. And God, in this season of Lent, we ask that you would show us things that we need to see and help us, God, live into the truths that you teach us. And may your words come through my teaching today that we'd hear what you want us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, how do you feel about learning new things? But excited about that? All right, great. That's exciting. So uh, for a fun example, uh, for a fun activity a couple weeks ago, a few of our talented Menlo staff members attempted to teach our entire Menlo staff how to knit. Yes, knitting, how to knit. Um, knitting was described to us as a satisfying activity that would relieve stress and improve well-being. You could do it while you were watching TV or having a conversation with a friend. It might even reduce the temptation to grab your phone and scroll. Wow, that's powerful. Uh, I was on board. So we gathered together expectantly. Balls of yarn and knitting needles were handed out. 
We grabbed instruction sheets, a YouTube video started playing, and verbal instructions were shared from the front of the room. Our instructors patiently walked around offering hands-on help. There were so many ways to figure it out. Now, I consider myself a capable adult, and I'm thinking, how hard can this be? It's basically just tying knots in the right order. No sweat. And you may be thinking, pride cometh before the fall, and you'd be right. Because rather than gaining the satisfaction of learning a new skill and experiencing the stress-relieving power of doing a repetitive task with my hands, I found myself increasingly frustrated and angry. It was the opposite of stress-free. Just when I would make a little progress, it got harder, and I had this tangled mess. They taught us this little rhyme, stab it, strangle it, scoop out its guts, and throw it off a cliff. Who knew knitting was so violent? I wanted to throw the whole thing off a cliff. So after a few more tries, I predictably gave up throwing my tangled mess back into the box. Now, while I didn't learn how to knit, I did learn something about myself. In theory, I love to learn new things and be challenged, but in reality, I'm way too into image management it turns out that I really like to be competent, and I don't like to look foolish. I might be afraid that I'm gonna be judged or criticized, or maybe I'll just never be able to get it. I'm gonna fail. In the, word of, in the world of psychology, this is called a fixed mindset. Maybe some of you can relate. Now, if I had been humble enough to follow the instructions, experience a little failure, ask for help and keep trying, I would be somebody right now who could knit. A whole new world would have been opened up to me, or so I've been told. Here's the thing. Jesus wants to teach us something far more valuable than knitting. He wants us to take hold of life that is really life. He wants us to experience the kingdom of God in every moment of every day. And it starts with the goal of his teaching, which is to help us know what is true and what is not true. Now remember, there are lots of teachers trying to teach us lots of things. Every day we're getting bombarded with messages telling us that this is what really matters, or this is the best way to live, or this is how you should spend your time and your money. And it's not a new problem. Remember, sin comes into the world when Satan lies to Adam and Eve. But they believe it's true. We are not even aware of all the conflicting messages that are rolling around in our own hearts right now. What is really true and how do I know? As our teacher, our rabbi, Jesus wants us to know what's true. That's what his teaching goal is for us. A quote from John Mark Comer, pastor and author. He says, the best teaching does more than just inform us. It gets into our heads with a vision of the good life. It undermines the untrue stories we believe. It says, this is true and this is a lie. It shifts our trust. It rewires our mental maps to reality, making it possible for us to live in alignment with reality in such a way that we flourish and thrive according to God's wisdom and good intentions. This is what's at stake 
Are we patient enough to wrestle with Jesus' teaching? To let it reorient our mental maps? Do we give up when it gets challenging or hard? Will we humbly sit at his feet and trust that if we actually live out what he teaches, it will lead to the good life? And it begins with a posture of humility. Uh, The Mishnah is a collection of core rabbinic thoughts and teaching recorded from 200 BC to about 200 AD. And one of the quotes from the Mishnah by Rabbi Yoazer says this, let thy house be a meeting house for the wise and powder thyself in the dust of their feet and drink their words with thirstiness. The middle line is sometimes translated as sit amid the dust of their feet. And it's understood as humbly sitting at the feet of one's teacher so that you can learn from them. And this is because it was customary to honor a teacher by sitting on the floor while they taught from a chair or a raised position. And from this, we get the familiar saying that you sat at the feet of a teacher. For example, Paul says that he was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. And Mary uh, says uh, is, uh, in Luke 10, 9, that she sat at Jesus' feet. She was learning from him as a disciple. Now, because disciples would learn from their teacher amid the realities of daily life while sitting under a tree, in a marketplace, sharing a meal, walking along a road, it was sometimes said, it was an honor to be covered in the dust of your rabbi. It showed devotion. It demonstrated humility. Learning from Jesus doesn't involve a cool, distant learning posture. To understand Jesus, you need to stay close and not just hear what he says, but watch what he does. You need to submit to his authority, trust in his power, and it all takes place in a relational context. Jesus is called teacher 45 times in the New Testament, and the Aramaic title rabbi is used 14 times for Jesus, even though he was not formally trained as a rabbi as far as we can tell. The people, however, recognized that Jesus was indeed a teacher sent from God. Now, Jesus uses all sorts of teaching techniques, including poetry and proverbs, exaggeration and parable, uh, uh, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> parables, and many others, such as puns, similes, metaphors, riddles, paradoxes, irony, and questions, to name a few. So, when we think about what he's teaching, we must take all of that into account. What's the point he's trying to make? What does he want us to understand? What does this mean for me? And we may not always get it right. The disciples frequently have to ask Jesus to explain things to them, and they were right with him all the time. So it requires a growth mindset and some devotion. Think about something that you learned in your life that you're good at. Maybe it was a while ago, maybe it was recently, but something that you're good at. Now, I recently uh, took up fly fishing. I'm trying to learn how to do that. And there's many things I enjoy about fly fishing, and I've had some moderate success, but I would say for me, it's more of a hobby. Something fun I do when I have time. Now, I have a friend, Kevin, and he treats fishing as a devotion. 
He watches videos, he listens to blogs, he reads constantly, he monitors the river flows in the Sierra and modified his SUV to be the perfect fishing rig. When we fish with a guide, he eagerly picks their brain for any learning he can get. He gets out on the river, any river, any chance he can get. Who do you think is the better fisherman? It's not me. If we have that kind of devotion to learn from Jesus, it will change our focus and attention. It will drown out the other voices and attachments that take over our lives. There's a quote uh, here from Daniel, author Daniel Napier. It's a little, little dense, but I'm going to unpack it here. When Jesus' teachings become the enduring focus of our attention, potentially lasting and positive change begins. Moral growth requires sustaining a broad enough range of awareness to effectively counteract the intense narrowing of focus that ordinary desires instigate as they arise or pass through a person. We have to have the focus of our attention be Jesus' teaching because it raises our awareness high enough that we can realize that we're being told lies that are, that are the things we narrowly focus on aren't leading us where we want to go. Moral descriptions and exhortations found in Jesus' teaching, when actively attended to, will produce a broadening of perceptual horizon and allow a form of choice that's not mere yielding to impulse. This is the seminal moment. Change starts here. It produces the broadening of perceptual horizon, allows a form of choice that's not just yielding to impulse, this is the power of Jesus' teaching, that it can help us to not just go through life yielding to our impulses that are unexamined or not brought forward or forth in the light of Jesus' teaching, because when we do that, our life is just on autopilot. Can we put those impulses before God? We can gain an awareness that opens our mind to different choices, and that's where change begins. But what happens when Jesus teaches something that's really hard? Or something that just doesn't make sense to us? Or seems impossible? Here's something to remember. Hold on to this. If you take Jesus' teaching seriously, it will mess with your life. I'll say that again. If you take Jesus' teaching seriously, it will mess with your life. And if it's not messing with your life in some way, I wonder how seriously you're taking it. It will change you. It will lead you to ask different questions. So here's a couple hard things that Jesus taught. Unless you hate your mother or father or children or your own life, you cannot be my disciple. What does that mean? Sell everything you own and come follow me. Whoa! Love your enemies. What? If someone wrongs you, turn the other cheek. Wait a second. Anyone offended yet? Now, we can be hard on the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and all those, but we're more like them than we think. When Jesus starts presenting me with some challenging words, I can get evasive and even defensive. You know, God, what about so-and-so? They're way worse than me. There's no way you can expect this from me, God. It's way too hard. I can't give that up. I've worked too hard for it. It costs too much. 
And then the nice uh, something, thing we do and we want to kind of divert attention, hey, that's something so-and-so should hear. I'm going to send them the link. Anybody do that? On one occasion recorded in John chapter 6, Jesus was teaching a larger group of his disciples and started talking about communion, but he talked about it as drinking his blood and eating his flesh, and it was weird, and they were confused, and it didn't make sense to them. It was just too hard. And so um, it says this, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? And from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Now, I don't blame them. They came to the realization that Jesus was not who they wanted him to be or who they thought he was. He no longer fit the box that they had constructed in their mind. And this, what, Jesus wasn't unaffected by this. It bothered him. He, it hurt. He didn't want anyone to miss out. He says to them, you don't want to leave too. He says to his 12, the close inner circle of disciples, you don't want to leave too, do you? And then Peter answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter may not have it all figured out, but he knows and trusts the teacher. Peter knows that Jesus is not just another rabbi, that love and devotion for Jesus will get him through the hard teachings because ultimately he knows that Jesus is the way. And he trusts Jesus only wants what's best for him. Now this would only be blind trust if Jesus was not Jesus, if he was not the son of God. And this is the big question that Jesus has to address with the Pharisees and others in this entire week before he goes to the cross. Is there something special about Jesus, or is he just another teacher? Does his power come from heaven or of human origin? Is Jesus the Son of God or just a gifted human? Now, when those disillusioned disciples were leaving him, Jesus makes one more plea. He doesn't want them to regret their decision to leave, and so he says, what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before, before the incarnation, before he came to earth? The flesh, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Jesus is not just another rabbi with some good wisdom. His words have, and teaching have power. They are full of spirit and life. They're trustworthy. But it doesn't stop there. The goal of any teacher is not just that students would learn, but that they would go out and take that learning and change the world. And so he reminds them of, these, of that in this passage <coughs> from Matthew 7. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand that shifts here and there. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. 
No, wisdom and knowledge are not enough. It's what you do with it. It's how you live it out. And this is where Jesus focuses his teaching in the Passion Week and where he turns his attention when he's talking with the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. You know, the Pharisees, they knew the scriptures. They knew the history. They knew the law. They kept the traditions. And yet, they missed the point. And Jesus illustrates this, and you can read this in those passages. Jesus illustrates through parables, comparing the Pharisees to disobedient sons, treacherous renters, and disrespectful wedding guests. And then he goes on to take a more direct approach. He condemns them with a scathing rebuke, calling them blind guides, snakes, and hypocrites. You can read all about it in Matthew 23. It's pretty intense. But he sums it all up with a warning to his disciples. He says this, you must be careful to do everything the Pharisees tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. You must be careful to do everything they tell you, but not do what they do because they do not practice what they preach. The Pharisees say the right things. They have the right information. You can listen to that. They just don't actually apply it correctly. They know the right answers, but it's not impacted their hearts. When they do do the right things, they do them with the wrong motivation. They miss the big picture. They love the words, but fail to see what's behind them. And again, before I'm too hard on them, I need to hear that rebuke for myself. There are so many biblical truths I know that, I, that do not always show up in my life. I can literally be sitting in a church worship service, listening to a worship song about loving others while simultaneously judging a person I see across the room. Maybe it's just me. And now you're all gonna look at me when I'm worshiping and think that, but... My heart is fickle. I remember going to a Bible study group that had been studying the Bible for years, and I was excited to be with them to just absorb all the, the wisdom that years of study had impacted upon them. And they were doing a lesson on hospitality, and I remember sitting down and somebody coming over to me and telling me that I had taken their seat and that I needed to move. It was a little disillusioning. We often have the assumption that as a person's knowledge of the Bible increases, their maturity will increase with it. Now, don't get me wrong, Bible study helps. It's super critical and important, but if it's not applied or lived out, greater maturity is not a guarantee. Pastor Francis Chan uh, humorously makes this point uh, during a talk he gave at a conference. He says, uh, do you remember that game Simon Says? Pretty simple. Whenever you hear Simon Says, you do the action requested. And if you don't hear Simon Says, you don't do it. But, he says, what about when Jesus says? That's a different game. We don't do it, we just study it or memorize it. Now, when I ask my daughter to clean her room, she doesn't come back to me two hours later and say, I memorized what you said. You said, Kira, go clean your room. I can say it in Greek. How about this? My friends are going to come over, and we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. It's going to be awesome. 
Do we practice what we preach? Do we follow the teachings we've received? Do we love the idea of faith and the trappings of church more than where it all leads? And where does it lead? And this is where we start talking about love at the center because in the middle of this discourse that Jesus is having with the Pharisees, one of them comes up to him and says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You get it all right if you just do these two things. Behind every teaching, every commandment, every message is the reality of divine love. And if we hear and follow correctly, we will become more loving people. We will learn how to love God and what it means to love our neighbor. John Mark Coomer uh, summarizes like this. He said, if you had to summarize Christ-like character in one word, there would be no competition. It's love. Love is the acid test of spiritual formation. And when we hear Jesus teaching, we're gonna be confronted with that dissonance between what we say we love and what we really love. We're gonna have to wrestle with the cost of love. We're gonna be challenged by the power of love in our lives and overcome with gratitude for the way God has loved us. If you wanna know if Jesus' teaching is impacting you, ask this simple question, are you becoming more loving? First John, it says this, First John 4, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. To follow the teaching of Jesus, we have to love the teacher. We must know that we're loved. We must believe that Jesus alone has the words that will lead us to new life, to a changed life, and be willing to step out and live it. Now, Jesus' disciples were not the most educated. They didn't always get the rules right, but they knew Jesus loved them and they could trust him. And they saw him demonstrate it day after day, and it enabled them to sacrifice their very lives for the gospel. So as we close today, I wanna ask this question. How do we become faithful disciples and avoid the fate of the Pharisees? Well, I'll tell you this, it takes more than willpower and good intentions and trying harder. We need to give ourselves over to our rabbi Jesus with humility and devotion. We need to organize our lives around following what Jesus says to us. We need a growth mindset and be willing to fail so that we can learn. And the season of Lent is a time to reflect on how we're doing with our faith, to open our eyes to things we don't always see or want to see. 
Sometimes we don't actually believe what Jesus teaches us, if we're honest. Or we don't trust it. Or we just plain old don't want to do it. Jesuit theologian Walter Burghardt described contemplation like this. He said, it's taking a long, loving look at the real. A long, loving look at the real. And I think this is a good way to describe the, the goal of Lent. As we take a long, loving look, things are going to come up in our hearts. And we typically respond in one of two ways, by letting go of things or, or taking hold of things. Maybe you need to let go of an idea or a story that's not true or a habit that's not helping you move toward love. Maybe you need to embrace a new practice or habit that will bring you closer to Jesus, like study or solitude or a group. We would love to help you find something. Maybe it's just coming clean so that nothing gets in the way of your relationship with Jesus. That's the practice of confession. We, we can't fix it, but he can if we let him know. And this is the path of surrender. That we're dealing with reality and we're throwing ourselves on God's mercy. And, uh, and folks, I want you to know this is a good place to be. Matthew 23, 12, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Your teacher knows you, and he's not surprised by your life. He has the words that bring real life. He has the truth. He wants your best. He loves you completely. He gave his life for you. His mercy never ends, and his forgiveness is sure. You can trust him. You can trust his teaching. Will you sit at his feet? Will you ask for his help? Will you join the path of surrender and take a long, loving look at your life? Because that's the way that leads to life and freedom and hope. So let's take that path together. Amen? And pray for us. Jesus, you are the patient teacher. And we're so thankful that we could have your words to us in the Bible and the words that you speak to our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Forgive us when we fail to practice what we preach. But Lord, use this season of Lent to reorient our hearts back to you. We want the life you offer. We trust you. We love you. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen.